Thanks for checking out the Reveal Vineyard podcast. We are a Jesus-centered community in El Mirage, Arizona. We hope through these conversations your spirit will be stirred. For more information, you can visit our website at www.revealvineyard.com. All right, so as Marty said, we are on our third message of our series, How Is Your Soul? And in this series, we're looking at this idea, and really more than just an idea, but a necessity for our lives of spiritual formation. And our first and most important responsibility is to feed our own souls. That's what we talked about in week one. And as we've said in this series, that when it comes to personal spiritual growth, personal spiritual growth is what? Intentional. A few of you have caught on. So listen, I work with kids. I'm used to being interrupted. You can speak out. You're not going to throw me off, right? So personal spiritual growth is intentional. It's not going to happen to you, right? Like you don't just show up and then boom, you've got, you know, spiritual growth. We have to intentionally develop habits and rhythms in our lives that will nurture spiritual formation within us. I think as, as, as Ed has always shared that, you know, we often think that the point of Christianity is salvation, but then the rest of our lives is sanctification. That's one of those big high educational words that I, I'm not even sure if I even know what that means, Ed, but I've heard you use it before, so I'm going to go with it. So, so if you think about it, uh, once we develop these healthy rhythms, we put ourselves in a position to tend to our family spiritually, and that's what we talked about last week. But if you think about it, maybe close your eyes and just imagine with me. Just indulge me a little bit, all right? Close your eyes and just imagine just a smooth body of water. And then all of a sudden you have this close-up of just seeing a, a stone get dropped into that water. And what do you see, right? Like you see the initial splash. And then from that initial splash, there's this ripple effect. And that ripple effect is representative of our interior life reaching out into our exterior life, impacting those around us. And so what we want to do is strengthen our interior life so that that ripple, it grows larger. And essentially, instead of little stones or pebbles that are being dropped, we want to see larger stones that are causing even larger ripple effects, and those ripple effects are spreading even further. But as we discussed as well, that our first church is our what? Thank you, Rosa. Our first church is our family. So either some of you were gone last week or some of you I put to sleep, and for that I apologize. Otherwise, for the rest of you, welcome back. Um, Our first church is our family. So in those ripple effects that we want to see created, the first ring in that relationship ring are those that are closest to us, our family. And this is where the lion's share of our influence needs to be spread. But like I also mentioned last week, our mission field it's going to expand beyond just our home and our family. And in the same way that we will influence our families, whether we are intentional or not, we will also have an impact, whether it's positive or negative, in our work. And that's where we're going for today's discussion. So you see, when we work, we are essentially carrying Christ into our world. And when you carry Jesus, oh, that's right, I always forget to, I, I'm sorry, I do that. It's like, it's like my trademark move, I forget to pray for the offering. The poor ushers are like, dude, you're killing us, you are killing us. So, let's do that right now. Well, Father, thank you for your grace. If we can't experience it here, then we're in trouble. Um, so, God, I pray that you would just bless the offering that we're about to receive. Lord, that you would use this money 
to bless this community, to expand your kingdom here in El Mirage and across the world. Lord, that we would be good stewards with this money. Father, we ask that you would bless the giver um, as they sacrifice to you in an act of worship and love. And so, God, have your way with us this morning. Holy Spirit, move, because I just derailed us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as I was saying, when we work, we are essentially carrying Jesus into our world. And when you're carrying Christ into your world of work, it's like taking a lion into Times Square, right? Like, you have no idea what's going to happen. And so, we need to be smart about how we do this thing. Look what the Bible says in Colossians in Colossians 3, 2, and 3, it says this, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. The chapter then goes on to talk about how God should be revealed in our new nature because of Christ. And it calls out specific sins that culturally most people were guilty of. Then it gets to verse 17 where it speaks specifically to our work. So if we're these new creatures, right, in Christ, our appearance in work should be different. Look what it says. And whatever you do, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all, not some, not most, not the tasks you enjoy, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So that verse is telling us that there is a purpose behind our work. And not because of the kind of work we do, but in how we do our work. You can have any kind of job and give it meaning and purpose for God's glory based on how you approach it. Now, as I was contemplating just work and, you know, what does God desire for us to take away with regards to work and how does it all fit into spiritual formation, I kept revolving back into my thoughts to Joseph, the son of Jacob. Now, most people look at Joseph's story and they immediately point out the theme of forgiveness, right? Joseph was very magnanimous in his forgiveness. I really hope I use that word right. Um, or persevering through suffering, right? And while they are certainly correct in doing so, I also see an arc of Joseph's work life throughout his life. You see, Joseph had a diligence and an attention to detail, along with a work ethic that carried him through some pretty heavy stuff. And I think we can learn some basic principles about approaching our own vocations in a way that God can use them for his purposes. And again, regardless of what kind of work it is that you do. Now, most of you know Joseph's story, right? He was the favorite son of Jacob because he was born of Jacob's favorite wife. This created a lot of tension and jealousy for Joseph among his brothers. So right away, guys, we can learn that you should never have a favorite wife. <laughs> Causes all kinds of problems. I'm just saying, we'll leave it at that. So Joseph's, Joseph's first job that he had was actually tending to his father's sheep. And now while he was his papa's favorite, he wasn't in charge. He actually worked for his brothers. The problem, maybe you could see it as a problem or just see him separating out in his character, was that Joseph had a strong work ethic and he would often report back to his father about the bad things that his brothers were doing. Well, Joseph's brothers didn't exactly care for their little brother, who they knew was loved by their father most, calling them out on their poor work habits. In their eyes, Joseph was simply a what? Tattletale. Snitch, tattletale, right? Brat. 
Um, I heard someone say dead um, last service. No, this planted seeds of deep bitterness, right, with his brothers. And so one day, his brothers had him in a position where they're like, hey, we got this guy isolated. And so they decided they're going to take him out, right? And they were going to be done with him forever. So in a series of events, Joseph was sold into slavery. Now, they wanted to kill him at first, but cooler heads prevailed, and he was sold for profit instead. I mean, after all, he was family, right? So Joseph, out of the picture, the brothers concocted a plan to fool their father into believing that Joseph was killed by a wild animal. And if any of you have been to a Broadway musical, you know that they took his technicolor coat, they dipped it in blood, and they convinced Jacob that little Joey is no longer with us. So after being betrayed by his brothers, Joseph finds himself in his second career as a servant in the house of Potiphar. Now, Potiphar was a captain of the guard for Pharaoh, so he had some connections. And Joseph quickly caught the attention of Potiphar because of all the success he had in everything that he did. And so Joseph was quickly promoted to Potiphar's personal attendant and was put in charge of his master's household. Joseph literally had administrative responsibility over everything that Potiphar owned. And Joseph flourished in this role. Now, the only challenge that Joseph faced was who? Some of you read your Bibles. Good job. Potiphar's wife. So essentially, Potiphar's wife wanted to indulge herself in a way that many did with their household servants of that time. She was hoping to have some intimate time with Joseph, which he refused to oblige. So instead of allowing the pressure and the threat of losing his position and causing him to compromise his values, he actually fell on the sword and was taken down. And so after Potiphar's wife failed to seduce Joseph, she then falsely accused him of forcing himself on her, which landed Joseph in prison. So now Joseph finds his third place of employment, if you will, which is Pharaoh's jail. Now, he didn't exactly have great benefits or 401k, but there was work to be done. And Joseph continued to work as if he were working for the Lord. And as with everything else that Joseph did, because he chose to honor God in what he was doing, God blessed all that he did. Joseph was soon running the prison for the warden. The warden now had the easiest job in all of Egypt, thanks to Joseph. And it was during this time that Joseph kind of started a little side hustle, if you will. You see, Joseph had this gift that God had given him with the ability to interpret dreams, or as Joseph would probably say, Well, God interpreted the dreams, and he just told me what it was. And after correctly interpreting a couple of dreams in prison, his skills were called upon when the Pharaoh himself had a disturbing dream. And so Joseph's side hustle pays off. So he now had an audience with the most powerful man in Egypt, and some would argue that at this point in history, Pharaoh was probably the most powerful man in the world. So Joseph correctly interprets the dream for the Pharaoh, Then, without being asked or being given invitation, Joseph proceeds to give Pharaoh advice on what he should do with the interpretation. Now, many of the leaders at present probably thought this was a bold move. Like, who is this guy? He just pulled him out of prison. Now he's telling Pharaoh what to do. It's kind of a bold move. But what Joseph told the Pharaoh was so brilliant 
that the Pharaoh couldn't help but listen. Because, you see, Joseph knew that lives were at stake. He knew that Pharaoh only had one shot to get this right. And what's better is that Joseph became the man in charge of carrying out the very game plan that he gave to Pharaoh. And so Joseph, through his diligence to any work he had, through his commitment to honor God in all that he did, went from rags to riches, becoming the second in command over all of Egypt, second only to Pharaoh himself. And so the first thing that we can take away from Joseph's story is that we work to live. Like, that's a no-brainer, right? We work to live. I mean, if you think about Joseph's story, he literally had to work in order to live because if he refused to work, they would probably have killed him. In fact, many people might have felt such an injustice if they had gone through what Joseph went through that they probably would have been obstinate, that they would have just refused to work. However, Joseph didn't allow his circumstances to derail him from the fact that he was going to choose to live and honor God with his life, no matter what work was before him or what circumstances he found himself in. Work is what we do often because we must, right? We have to eat. We have to put a roof over our heads. We have people that we must care for, people that we love, and so we must work to live. And in many cases, we need to be doing, willing to do whatever work is available to us. So providing for ourselves and our families and caring for the basic needs in our home, it's important in God's eyes. It's not just something that our culture came up with. In 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to a young pastor, Timothy, and he's giving him instruction on how to guide the local church with regards to their conduct in public. And so listen to what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 5.8. He said, but those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith. Such people are worse than unbelievers. And so it's pretty clear. God expects us to be the kind of people who are willing to work in order to care for our families. In fact, one could argue that we were created to work. I mean, one of the first things that God does with Adam is he puts him in the garden and he gives him a job to do. Tend to the garden. Take care of my creation. So when we refuse to work, or we refuse to do work that we feel is beneath us, it's almost like we're denying our created nature. The trap that we need to be careful of, though, is that we continue to work to live and not live to work. We need to not allow our work to become our core identity. Our identity should be firmly rooted as children of God, and our work is what we do to provide for our families. To better our communities. But what happens when we live to work, right? Instead of working to live. Well, simply put, I think that our families begin breaking down and suffering. I've seen too many examples where a parent's primary identity is that of their vocation. And they never turn it off when they come home, right? So they either disconnect and just continue to work while at home. Or they just stay in that mind space where all they're thinking about is work stuff. And they simply treat their family as if their family are their employees. Essentially, the role of the family then becomes a network of support for the demands of work. Now, I don't remember who said it, but it has stuck with me throughout the years. And they said this, that our work was meant to support our family life, not the other way around. But let's be honest. It is more common for our families to accommodate our work life in today's culture. 
Now, to extend some grace here, there are times when we go through short seasons where that priority is tested. But the challenge is for us to learn how to discern when that season is beginning to blur into a lifestyle. We need to be careful of that. So while work will be and should be a part of our lives, we need to get back to prioritizing our families over our demands from work. Again, there will be seasons when that balance is not in check, but for the most part, the scale should always tip towards the family. Now, if you haven't noticed, our discussion about work being a part of our spiritual formation, it's the third message in our series, not the... Okay, you can see it, right? It's not the first, it's the third, and there's a reason. There's a priority there, there's a pecking order. Our soul care is number one. Our families are number two. Then there is room for our work. Now, if you find yourself struggling with this one, so if you were to come to me, come sit in my living room, avoid all the clutter that's there from the five kids we have, and and have a cup of coffee, and you'd say, you know, I'm just struggling with this, I would really recommend the book When Work and Family Collide by Annie Stanley. It's a book I have personally read, and it helped me greatly when I felt like my time was so out of whack. And so that book really helps you find the balance that you're looking for, or I should say that you should be looking for when it comes to your family. So the first principle of our work as spiritual formation is that we work to live, right? To provide for our families, to care for their needs. The second thing that we see in Joseph's story is that we work to influence. We work to influence. Joseph leveraged every work opportunity he had to be a positive influence in this place of work. So while tending to his father's sheep, it mattered to him that the integrity of the workers were held accountable. Granted, this didn't endear his brothers very much to him, but his father grew to trust him completely. Joseph influenced Potiphar in such a way that short of his wife and himself, he put Joseph in charge of literally everything he owned. And then the same thing eventually happened when he was in prison. So you see... Joseph didn't value his work by the kind of work he was doing. He valued it because of who he represented. He represented God, and that meant something to him. So this nature of Joseph's to influence where he was, as we've already discussed, would eventually land him in a position of authority over all of Egypt, with the exception of the Pharaoh, of course. And so our work provides avenues for us to influence those around us. And if we look at Joseph's example, we should desire to be the kind of workers who improve the environment that we're working in, right? The place where we work should improve just because we are there. The people that we work with should benefit from being our co-workers or our employers or our employees. Look at what Jesus says to us when it comes to the kind of influence we should have in our world around us. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. And like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, 
so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Essentially, Jesus is saying that when people interact with us, it should benefit them. They should be grateful for it. I mean, you think about it, light, it's a helpful thing, right? Light also reveals beauty. It helps us to see color. Salt preserves food. And for some of us, it improves the taste of things. Unfortunately, too many of us, we read this verse and we think that it gives us license to throw our theology in the faces of those that we disagree with around us. And can I just say that that's not being salt. That's more like being vinegar. It's stinky. In fact, we have a a little tradition in our home that as they're growing, if they're still 16 and doing this, this this, we might need therapy, but when our kids were little, whenever they would lie to us, we'd give them like a little, like half a teaspoon of vinegar drink, a little apple cider vinegar. I know, that sounds horrible. And as they're, you know, gasping and choking and gagging, we just remind them that, look, when you lie, that's how horrible it makes our hearts feel. It, it, It tears our relationship apart, right? And so one day, I'm cooking dinner, and I was making this balsamic vinaigrette, and my third-born Elliot comes into the kitchen. He goes, he stops, and he gets a little tense. He goes, I smell lime juice. (laughs) I'm like, job well done. So our meaning of work should be quite different than that of those who who don't acknowledge Christ as their Lord, right? God's people have a call to beautify and enhance the world through our fruitful labor, guided by the teaching of Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Listen, empowered by the Holy Spirit should not be a tagline that we just throw on at the end of statements because we feel like we're Christians. It needs to be something that we know how to experience, that we have habits, that we know how to cultivate that in our lives. The Holy Spirit is a living, acting part of the Trinity. He's not just a tagline that we throw in there. Okay, And too often the church has ignored him. He's always neglected because we like the word. We like reading the Bible. We like the Father. We like the Son. We don't really know what to do with this Holy Spirit thing. And I get that the world around us has kind of convoluted that somewhat. I get that. But we can't ignore it. It is a huge part of what we need as we look to serve others, right? To, to see others loved, encouraged, reached, and provided for through the spending of our energies. That, look, we're not after money. I get that money is going to be a part of the process of working, right? I like money just as much as anybody else. But we should rather be after the pleasure of God in how we work. Which brings us to our third point, that we work to serve. We work to serve. When we look at Joseph's story, we don't see someone who is just simply hungry with ambition, looking to get that next advancement, looking to climb up that corporate ladder, His goal in all of his work wasn't to find wealth. His goal was to honor God and benefit the people whom he served. I mean, think about it. Even his greatest accomplishment was based on the task of preserving life. His role in Egypt was to save them and many other nations, for that matter, around Egypt from famine. And the thing I love about Joseph's story is that he just focused on what he could do which was conduct himself in a way that honored God, to see his immediate work as an opportunity to improve the lives of those around him and ultimately see his work as God's work. 
Look at what the Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, 7, and 8. Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus, and he says, Work with enthusiasm, right? Like, that's, that's very descriptive, enthusiasm. As though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. So when you get up each day, and either you go to work, or you work at home, or you attend school, Who are you doing it for? Now, while not all of us have a job situation that we love, we may even, at this very present moment, hate our job. That's not my story, just so we're clear. (laughs) The passage above calls us to see our work as an act of thankful worship. We get to do this. Bringing glory and fame to Jesus as we express our attitudes, words, and work, work ethic in the world. In fact, if you go back to that verse in Ephesians, you know, this little pep rally verse, Paul is literally addressing slaves who had become followers of Christ. And so we work to serve those who God has placed in our reach. That may be people under our authority. It may be people of equal status as ourselves. And yes, it will also include people who are in authority over us. Now, you know how the story of Joseph ends, right? His brothers eventually boomerang back into his life because of the famine. He prays them through town and has them all put to death. That didn't happen. Some of you really need to read your Bible. There was too much agreement there. Oh, wow, that's terrible. No, that's not what happens. But what they were able to see is that his character carried him through what many would have assumed to be the worst possible scenario any person could have faced to be sold into slavery by your own family. And not only did his character help him survive, but he thrived. There could be no mistake on their part that while they despised his work ethics at one point in their life, they were extremely grateful for them later on. Our work matters to God. And not because of the kind of work we do, but because of the kind of worker we are. I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up. I love this book that our staff read together called The Practice of the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. Um, I've actually read this book before, and so when we read it again as a staff, it was kind of nice to revisit it. And uh, we affectionately referred to Brother Lawrence as Brother Larry. So we used to call him Brother Larry. And so Brother Larry was a 16th century monk who developed this pattern of connecting with God through everything he did, including his daily work. And here is what he had to say on the matter of work. He says this, The time of business does not with me differ from the time of prayer. In the noise and clatter of my kitchen, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were upon my knees at the blessed sacrament. Brother Larry. So ask yourself, do I love the work I do or do I resent it? Am I honoring God in the way I approach my work? Or am I creating wedges between him and others because of the witness I'm maintaining? Am I protecting my soul through the way I conduct myself at work? Or am I compromising my character for gain? Is my family my first church? Or has work become my greatest priority? But God wants to use us to impact this world. In fact, I love the song that we're about to sing. It's, it's our chance to respond to him. He's, he's spoken to us through his word, and he's like, this is what I expect from you. You go out into the world, and you be the kind of person that 
betters people's lives through the work you do, your ethics and just your effort. And so the song is, is kind of a prayer and asking God to use us in just that exact manner. And I love doing worship at the end because really it's just it's an opportunity for us to respond to God. Let's not just hear it and go, yeah, that was great. Let's hear it. Let's respond to God and saying, yeah, we're on board. And then let's ask him in our prayers to then do something through our lives with this information. So let's go ahead and worship one last song. I'll come back up and we'll close in prayer. Amen. Let's pray. Spirit of God, we just invite you to turn our energies into fruitful work. Lord, give us eyes to see our current work from your perspective. Receive our work as an expression of our worship. And so, eternal God, our beginning and our end, would you be our starting point and our haven and accompany us in this week's journey. Use our hands to do the work of your creation and use our lives to bring others the new life that you give this world in Jesus Christ, the Redeemer of all. Amen. All right. Hey, if you're new here, we would love to meet you. Come on up so we can introduce ourselves to you. Uh, or if you have needs for prayer and you want someone to pray over you, please come on up. There'll be someone up here to do that. Otherwise, thank you guys for being here. We will see you next week.